Hey there, I'm Morgan, and this is Find Your Niche. I had the pleasure to sit down and chat with Tammy Perdue, the founder of Sweet Peas Urban Gardens, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. After 20 years of managing a successful law firm in Raleigh, Tammy decided to become an agro-entrepreneur after taking a gardening class on a chance weekend. Using an urban growing system called Cropbox and focusing on microgreens, she sells to local restaurants, farmers markets, online, and to a preschool. She's changing the way we typically farm to produce more efficiently and a safer method for our planet. I hope you enjoy our conversation. are you originally from? Where did you grow up? I was born in Enid, Oklahoma. And uh, my father went to college and got his master's degree in chemistry and was one of the first in the cohorts that started the EPA. Oh, wow. So when I was 11, um, they moved us to the triangle. They had just started the um, building that they just built the building for the the first installation, (laughs) major installation for the EPA. Yeah. We all came from Enid, Oklahoma. We, you know, they, they made a stop in, um, they had a stop in San Antonio, Texas for a couple of years and then Cincinnati, Ohio. So by the time I was 11, we moved here mm-hmm. and pretty much that's where I grew up. I went to Millbrook Middle School, Millbrook High School. Okay. So local, you grew up here. You attend North Carolina State University and majored in accounting. What led you to major in accounting? What was your thought process? So I originally, when I went to college, I wanted to, uh, I started off uh, in political science. I wanted to feel out whether or not I wanted to go to law school. And I picked the wrong school for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, so I immediately thought, you know, I need to have something that I can make a good living at. And um, I have a, I loved math. I had a knack for math. So I wanted to try the business. Well, I took a couple classes. I had a knack for it. I had a really fabulous 300 level uh, teacher who taught us about, uh, who took a uh, taught a course on forensic accounting. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's what I wanted. So anyway, I uh, got that degree and then I went and started working in a um, uh, local uh, CPA firm. And I went on a couple of, uh, I stayed there for about four years and did a couple of audits and went through a couple of tax seasons and went, <laughs> so there was an ad. Uh, I was also in the process of getting married. And so there was an ad uh, for a local law firm that needed somebody to run their back off. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, look at that. That kind of fits. I get to do both at the same time. Um, so I went and applied for the job and uh, they offered it to me. And um, it was an intellectual property law firm, not a criminal mm-hmm. or what I intended originally. But um it was fascinating. It was a little local firm, and we learned a lot about, uh, you know, people who come in off the street with their ideas, and some of them were just remarkably fascinating. Some of them were really goofy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we were little, and intellectual property hadn't hit the big boom that it hit. Business school started um, uh, encouraging kids who were uh, getting their MBAs to um, protect any idea, any iteration <laughs> of any idea. Yeah. So intellectual property boomed about three or four years after I started working at this firm. And we did as well. Uh And there were three to five intellectual property firms when we started uh, back in the, (laughs) back in the eighties. And then it boomed into there. There are literally a hundred right here in the triangle right now or more. So and we got big, bigger clients. So we ended up with our first Ericsson um, from Sweden, uh, mm-hmm. the cell phone folks uh, case. And that blew our, our business uh, right up. Um, so I stayed there for 23 years. I was the um, uh, legal administrator. I ran the back office of uh, a law firm with about, when I left, there were 45 folks and about um, 20 lawyers. Yeah. But I was the only... <laughs> female oh wow on the executive committee for that long for that long yeah so it uh as we started to grow up and (laughs) grow apart in our uh, values um it just uh it became you know i wanted to do some composting with this 
you know, lawyers drink coffee like it's, you know, oh, yeah. water. And so I wanted to do some more with, uh, you know, things that weren't um, just taking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let's not uh, make copies of both sides of the library books. <laughs> <laughs> what we were doing uh you know all the cases that came in we had to give the lawyers copies of the cases that came out of the books every everybody's desk got a copy of it so oh my gosh yeah i mean and it just there's a thousand things like that so i was heading in that direction more they were heading in uh growth and expansion and all the other things and you know, I was the mom of that law firm because I started off, there were seven of us or six of us. Yeah. And every, there was a line outside of my door uh, pretty regularly of people who wanted, mommy did this to me and I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, a grown man would come into my office and say something like that about his assistant. So anyway, that started to feel like not where I wanted to end my career. Yeah. So, uh, my children went to Enloe High School. And it was the first high school in Wake County that had um, a food bank. Mm. And so they sent a pitch out to the PTA, and I was on the PTA there, um, and asked if there was a a half a day a week that um, we could support uh, helping stock the food bank. And so I wrote, uh, I mean, I I talked to my um, uh, boss at the law firm and said, um, I wanted to do this on Wednesday afternoons. I wanted to do this. I was already working 60, 70 hours a week, so I didn't even care. <laughs> I was like, what are you going to do? So I did it. And um, while I was there, I met the uh, folks at the Interfaith Food Show. Mm-hmm. And there were kids bringing the food uh, from all over, from their farm on, try on, from uh, Food Lion, Harris Teeter. And I got to talk to them about, you know, just food insecurity issues and uh, growing food locally. And they were just so bright and so uh, passionate. And I was like, these are, these kids are really fabulous. So they introduced me to this um, workshop that they were hosting uh, in 2014, April of 2014, I believe, with Will Allen. Mm -hmm. And Will Allen is the, was the CEO of Growing Power in Milwaukee, which uh, was the, uh, the capital of urban farming in this country. He was the guru. Okay. He went around everywhere and talked about it. So he was coming to Raleigh and it was the whole weekend of workshops on how to uh, create a community garden. Um, you know, we learned how to raise a hoop house, an aqua um, culture environment. We grew two types of mushrooms that weekend. Um, we learned how to grow microgreens. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was just having like this giant epiphany of all of these, uh, 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 convergence of all of these things at one time. Um, okay, well, this is really interesting. And he gave us a business plan when we left the conference of how to start your own little community garden. Um, and I took that community garden plan and I iterated on it just for microgreens. And I happened to hit Raleigh at a time when no one else was doing microgreens here. There were a few high-end chefs that were shipping them from California. Mm-hmm. And that was insane. <laughs> um, we had a big opportunity. And because I had been hanging out with all these kids at the Interfaith Food Shuttle, I had a couple of kids that I met there who wanted to help me and wanted to work with me. So um, one of them uh, was a young man, I'll never forget him, had this idea of uh, building a fast food uh, restaurant that was only healthy. Like there was nothing in it that yeah. wasn't organic, but you could still drive through and get your stuff. Um, he, he, you know, he just graduated from college at 22 years old and he heard what I was doing and he said, oh. I want to help you. So he came and asked me if he could help. And I said, yes. And he happened to be one of the cutest, cutest, cutest kids ever. And so we had this plan of, okay, I'm going to take this side of Raleigh and you take that side of Raleigh and we'll knock on doors with samples and we'll see, you know, if we can get any bites. Well, of course he got <laughs> everybody knocked on their door like, Ooh, you're cute. Yeah. Take some of those like <laughs> So he got me. Fiction Kitchen, Garland, uh, you know, pools, mm-hmm. everything right out of the gate. And um, yeah. and they're still my clients. So um, I got a good restaurant out in Wake Forest, uh, Farm Table Kitchen, and mm-hmm. they had been a client since that day. I, the, the chef uh, was from New York and he um, had been using microgreens in New York and he hadn't seen them here. And so he's like, oh. so um, got a, you know, a good deal of restaurants right out of the gate and into the produce box, which uh, is an online produce mm-hmm. distribution service. So um, that gave me the idea or the confidence that I could tell the law. I mean, I was doing this part-time. So it was, uh, I told the law firm I wanted to um, 
complete. And so uh, six months we iterated on getting me out of there and having somebody, a couple people uh, my, be my replacement. So I did it. I jumped and I did it. And what year was this? So 2014. Okay. And when you started selling your microgreens in the very beginning, what was your garden look looking like at that time? So at that time, uh, microgreens, we grew in 1020 trays and um, we had, I had a sunroom mm-hmm. and a, a south facing um, ranch house that had a porch that was 80 feet long. So I could, I could, (laughs) so my neighbor's like, what the heck are you doing? Um, I filled my sunroom, I filled my porch. And then um, we found this cheap old uh, greenhouse at Harbor Freight and we put up a greenhouse. So I had those three places where I was growing them and it all in 1020 trays and dirt. Right. Mm -hmm. So I happened to be asked, I went up and just talked to the Raleigh City Farm folks and they asked if I wanted to sell my microgreens through their, at that time, they weren't calling it the Farmers Collective. I don't even remember what they were calling it, but um, they had this idea that they would consolidate local growers produce and be the distributor. Okay. I was up there doing that with them and they were getting it to the restaurants that were up and down downtown Raleigh area near them. And I noticed that there was a shipping container, a small shipping container that they had parked on the corner of the Raleigh Sea Farm. I was like, well, let's check this thing out. So I went in and I uh, talked to the young man who was inside of it, found that he was an NC State design student and his master's thesis, his teacher, I think, had given the whole class a, a job of, OK, we have all these shipping containers. What would you do with a reused shipping container? How would you um, outfit it? What would you do with it? So his idea was agriculture. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, I went to talk to him and I went to look at how he had outfitted it. And he was growing things, uh, uh, herbs uh, vertically. Mm-hmm. And one side was a refrigerated side. So you could his idea was you could come home from work, stop at the crop box in your neighborhood, get your milk, your cheese, your bread, whatever. And also pick your lettuces and your salad and have some salad and, you know, just a cute little thing like that. Well, I immediately looked at it and I was like, you can grow inside of this thing. Oh my gosh, I bet you could grow microgreens in here. Oh my gosh, I want one of these. <laughs> after about, I got mine in September of 2015. So after bugging these guys, so, so here's this kid getting his master's at state in design school. And there's another kid. And I say that they're, they're in their 30s now. So yes. Called as a kid. Um, his name is Trip Williamson, and his family uh, owned a tobacco warehouse infrastructure uh, business in Clinton, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So uh, Trip's mom had made a weekly uh, visit to Raleigh to get her nails and her hair and talk to her accountant. And she walked outside of Penny's at North Hills, and this um, kid uh, had put one of his uh, shipping containers out there. So she went to go talk to him and said, oh, my son needs to meet you. So um, the two met um, and they decided to form the crop box um, with their ideas together. So uh, Coon Rock Farm in Hillsboro was the first farm to uh, buy a shipping container. It is the craziest looking thing. It's still sitting out there because I delivered to Coon Rock. It um, has wires all over the place. I mean, it was uh-huh. It really was a prototype, but it has this the way of growing that I grow, which is um, these trays of uh, these channels that fit the entire box. So as we got talking, um, they did some math for me and came up with, you know, how much the costs were going to be for electricity and mm-hmm. how much water we would use and blah, blah. And I just kept iterating on my business plan with this these costs. And I was like, we could do this. So I used a little bit of money that I had left over from the law firm, uh, leaving them, and, and um, I bought the um, crop box. And mine was designed for the, it was the first time they'd been asked course mine was the fifth box so they haven't been asked a lot but um to have a food safety piece in it so when you're being inspected but for food safety um the inspector wants to see that wants to inspect everywhere that you grow cut and package right well if you can Mm -hmm. do it all in one space it's a much quicker audit um you don't have to pay for his time to go out and look at the other spaces and you don't have to worry about the other spaces you can contain it all so um i had that idea and i said please leave us a little space for uh, processing up at the front. So they did. Um, They cut out eight feet of a 20 foot channel and let us have eight feet on both sides of the box for processing. And it looked, um, it was pretty uh, high tech compared to the first one I saw. (laughs) Yeah. 
So we found that we got a gap certified easily. The the gap the gap auditor, there's seven gap auditors in, in North Carolina. And he's this older gentleman, very uh by the book, and he'd never seen anything like this. So, you know, he was trying to apply all of the things he's used to doing in the field in my little three hundred and twenty square foot farm. And one of the things that he asked for was our um standard operating procedures. So he had reviewed that before before he got to the farm and we had um, a rule that you couldn't have jewelry inside of the shipping container because mm-hmm. you didn't want things to fall, you know, if the earring fell off in somebody. Anyway, so I go in with this uh, inspector and what am I doing? I'm wearing my earrings. Um, <laughs> so uh, he, um, he dinged us for that, but we got a really high grade because it was, it's all contained and it's easy to clean. Yeah. Um, and there's no, you know, bird poop or uh, E. coli uh, opportunity in a, in a shipping center. So um, we got our good positive uh, inspection right out of the gate. So mm-hmm. uh, we were we were pleased. Wow, that's incredible. You're the fifth crop box. And, you know, like you're from the very beginning of this niche of growing vertical and this urban agriculture and all of it. And it's just you know, you keep happening onto these people that lead you to this. It is, that, that is, that is exactly how I would characterize what happened. I just happened to be in this whirlwind and I glommed onto them. I was yeah. like, that's where I want to go. Before the crop box, when you were just producing in your sunroom, how much microgreens were you able to grow? So we had 10 um, racks that had, that could hold 24 trays. Mm-hmm. in the house in the in the uh greenhouse we had um six racks uh and a and a big table for processing um and so we had that many racks so you know on, on any given and they were we were full we were getting full that was the reason i was looking for something bigger mm-hmm. um about a tenth to um 25 percent of what we could do in the crop box was what i had going all over my house just like all over my house i know wow a tenth and and you obviously left, I assume, your your career, uh, your successful career to start this because you were saying that it could be profitable with only a tenth of those microgreens. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. We got, we were, you know, if you played it right, you got the restaurants and that was where the, the money was. And, um, you know, we go to farmer's markets and spread the word. And then um, the produce box was a way to get it out to um as a to just individuals so all those things happen within uh you know six months of me starting because nobody else was doing it yeah you highlight on sweet peas website that microgreens a study highlighted stating that microgreens contain between four and 40 times the nutrient density of their full-grown relatives thus a tablespoon of raw microgreens is a full serving of vegetables yes I never knew that until I saw that the other day, which is mind blowing. I need to start substituting kale in my smoothies with like microgreens. Is that part of the reason you started with microgreens? So I did get really excited uh, right out of the gate because that study had just come out in 2012. And um, I thought, I thought that would be the key to selling. And that just seemed like the marketing strategy. And it just wasn't, it fell flat. No one, no one cared. No, you know, you try, shocking. you try to tell a chef that there's like, you know, four, 40 times uh, whatever the vitamin is in that thing. And they're like, how's it look and how's it taste? So, but I will say I've met folks along the way who did care. And, and a few of them are my clients. And this is one of my favorite ones. Um, there is a daycare in Southeast Raleigh. Mm-hmm. Um, food insecure kids. Um, some of them in, in deep poverty, some of them, um, you know, barely hanging on. And this woman found, the director found that she could get a farm uh, to childcare grant to pay for the food that was local. Wow. <laughs> so these kids in this daycare since 20, I think we started mm-hmm. our relationship together in 2016, um, have had for a snack microgreens um, every day that that uh, daycare has been open. So I love that. And, you know, healthy food for brains that are developing, unbelievably good idea. I went to, she got me uh, so excited that, that, you know, well, the daycares are where it's at. They're going to understand it. So I went to speak to a bunch of smart start daycare directors, probably, it feels like 2017 and no one else got it. Just Kim. (laughs) So they didn't, they didn't buy, they didn't think they could work it into their, um, 
budget for the food. They didn't think, yeah. And they didn't think anybody would, uh, the kids would like it. The kids, you know, you can teach kids to, to like anything uh, by the way you behave around food. But yeah. they're, they're sweet peas and they're sunflower shoots that we give them. So they're really fun. And they eat them and they ask for more. <laughs> so I love that. There's also a lady out in very North Raleigh who started a clean food um, grocery. And um, she had a child die of cancer uh, very young. And uh, during her journey of having the child um, treated at Duke and then learning about, uh, you know, what's actually in our food from uh, the industrial food system, she had a huge change in her life. She, the child died. And, uh, but in the meantime of learning all of, all that she could about what was going on with her child, um, she threw out everything in her house that had to do with cleaning products, uh, spices, any food, uh, any uh, deodorant, hair, anything that was, uh, that went in their bodies or on their bodies. And she started back by buying from people that she knew. So that was her business model. And that's how she started her. It's called Farm to Fork Meat. And she did, okay. uh, she's very passionate about how animals are actually uh, important in the process of regenerative agriculture because they eat the vegetables and then we eat them. So they digest the vegetables better than we do. And then we eat them. So anyway, she loved microgreens as well. She said, if you had to be on a desert island, you had nothing else, you could live off microgreens and uh, broth. <laughs> I was like, well, that's kind of weird because you wouldn't have either one of those. But um, <laughs> she uh, has always been a proponent of uh, the health value of microgreens, that they are so um, nutrient dense. So, Yeah, I mean, see microgreens all the time nowadays. You know, they're on salads, they're on sandwiches. They're very, I see them in cafes, restaurants everywhere. And that's crazy to think that, you know, some chefs weren't open to that idea, especially hearing their nutrition. Yep. It, I guess that's also a time when we didn't care as much about right. our health. That's right. It is. It does feel like it's coming back a little bit. I've had a few more questions, a little bit of bite on, <laughs> well, what, what are the nutrients in that particular, uh, you know, broccoli? Broccoli so easy to, to uh, talk about. So just a few. I had 160 clients before uh, COVID. And I regularly service about 20 of those now. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, but still the, the question is taste and uh, the way it looks more than uh, nutrition by far. There's a couple who asked me, but the, but the main, so the, the story about the nutrition is really funny. Uh, two farmers in California, you know, microgreens came from California 25, 30 years ago. And um, one of them was trying to advertise on their website that they were nutrient dense, but there was no evidence about this. The other one uh, sued him because he's like, I'm growing my greens and you can't say that. And so they got the USDA engaged and the USDA uh, commissioned a study at the University of Maryland um, where this woman's been studying them for uh, since 2010, I think. Um, and she's grown them in soil. She's grown them hydroponically. She's grown them with certain compost mix. She's done the whole gamut. She's compared what she finds uh, in nutrients from the babies to the full grown FDA uh, nutritional profile. And mm -hmm. she keeps finding it there. She was surprised. She was surprised <laughs> that they were that nutrient. -dense. So now there are other studies all over the country. There's been one just on broccoli and how it's grown. Um, and then there was another one on, yeah, uh, so broccoli and how it was grown. And then there was one on just a, a 10 or 15 grown in very specific uh, uh, media. So do you, how much compost is in the soil? How, uh, you know, and we grow on organic burlap. Um, mm -hmm. And my uh, argument has always been that the soil is uh, not important at that microgreen stage. Nature gave a seed what it needs to survive um, because it's harsh out there. Um, so it has to have in itself everything it needs to, to start life. Um, well, as it starts to mature and it goes past that cotyledon stage, then the root system is also developing. Um, and that's where it's searching for nutrients. But that's when we cut it. Right. So I've always said it didn't really matter. Um, and. And I still believe that, but I have been working lately with some soil microgreens again. And, and I'm working with a farmer here who's helping me um, grow uh, full-grown plants on this little uh, garden at the well-fed. 
And he's convinced me that uh, it does matter um, uh, to an extent. Um, and you can get more, um, uh, I don't want to say healthy growth because I think it's, um, it's, we see healthy growth in, in on the burlap, but, um, they, they seem to, there is a difference. I will say that there is a difference. Mm-hmm. And he's always making the argument to me that, um, I could do quite a lot of soil growing uh, microgreens if we set up a system that, um, uh, would encourage that. And I'm like, I have a crop box. <laughs> it works on organic. <laughs> burlap and i've found that there are studies that prove it is still nutrient dense really nutrient dense so i'm not that interested in schlepping soil and tracing it but we do yeah some flowers uh, are really sturdy they're big uh, and they uh, do don't do well hanging on to the little burlap but any herb you know 90 percent of what we do we do in the crop box there's just a few things that um, fall down they just can't uh, stand up at um and yeah That's so fascinating. I love the concept of vertical farming now and you see it everywhere. You can almost do it in your home, um, on your kitchen counter. When you started from the very beginning, what was your vision and how how has that vision changed for sweet peas? Oh, it has changed dramatically. So uh, after that workshop, I thought, well, uh, I'm lucky there's no um, uh, growers of microgreens in Raleigh. I'll just you know, I lived close to downtown Raleigh. I'll just, you know, be bringing microgreens to these chefs and that'll be how I phase out my life, <laughs> my career. Um, and along the way, I have met so many fabulous people. I really have become uh, interested and um, have uh, partnered with some folks to get this city, this city, to mm-hmm. more engaged in urban agriculture. So recently we just um, uh, prepared as I prepared a citizen's petition uh, to get a farm stand on a community garden because prior to COVID and, uh, it was illegal. It was illegal to sell the produce that you grow on the community garden at the community garden. You had to take it off site. Oh my God. And that's exactly what the mayor said. She's like, I don't get where that came. I mean, I know that there are some things, some issues, what she said, I know there's some issues with what you have to uh, include in a farm stand, but I don't understand why it can't be on a so anyway, she sent the city manager to task him with figuring out what the rule was and uh, helping having us help uh, the staff rewrite the code, the ordinance. Mm-hmm. So um, we just got that blessed March 2nd. We have uh, 30 days before it becomes a law. So on April 2nd, I can then reapply for my farm stand permit that I didn't know was illegal when I applied for it last year. <laughs> So that's so exciting. That's a good, that's a, that's a, and it was easy. Everybody, there was nobody got, I had no objections, like none in the staff and on the council. So then as that started to get some positive um, uh, momentum, uh, there's been a a man in Raleigh that I've followed since the very beginning, um, the community food lab, Aaron White. And he went to the design school state as well. And his um, focus of his nonprofit is helping cities integrate food system design so that food security and uh, resilience uh, within a city are, are in their minds when they're planning. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's had a struggle with Raleigh. Uh, he's been in business since uh, I started and maybe a couple of years before that. And um, he has gone to other cities to um, help them. Raleigh has been a pushback. Uh, so recently with this new council and this movement that I just got, he's joined us back and we have a large petition that we are um, working on right now that we are going to present on April 6th to the council. Um, Interfaith Food Shuttles with us, uh, Community Food Lab, um, the um, CAFN, the Capillary Food Network, um, all of us with different angles of why the city needs to be uh, uh, allowing uh, gardening and uh, growing food inside the city, businesses that do it inside the city, because it's mm-hmm. not really legal. Um, for us, our challenge with them is they consider any kind of um, season extension building, like the crop box, as a building that needs a building permit. And so with mm-hmm. a building permit comes handicap access. And th- that's just not part of farming. So, uh, I mean, I, I have no objections to handicapped people coming here, but it just, there are things that, you know, a wheelchair cannot do in dirt. And, and so, um, yeah, 
anyway, so we're trying to get to educate them about um, the importance of this. And we're using this opportunity, uh, this forward uh, momentum that we've just got to at least have them articulate on a big level that their mission is to further um, urban farming uh, for the city's resilience um, in case of any kind of disaster like another pandemic. Um, and the industrial food system can't get its, you know, can't come in, can't get to us. We should have some plan. And, um, uh, you know, climate change is a big part of our um, discussion with them. Um, if you do farming correctly, uh, you actually uh, remediate uh, climate change and move it backwards. So all of these mm-hmm. topics, it's, you know, everybody's heard it. Everybody's heard all of these pieces, but we're making them <laughs> put their money where their mouth is and and actually do something about it. And I think there's a lot of hope that, that, that we're going to see some movement. I keep telling people mm-hmm. our our mission is so giant right now. We, we got this little teeny thing done and now we just went, boom, we want everything else um, that by the time. I'm dead. <laughs> Most of it will have been enacted. So that's that's our hope. I mean, just having some movement right now is good. We've been um, not cited, but what we've been given, a, uh, I should say, we have been cited for uh, the season extension building. We are working with the staff to uh, get the correct permits, but the staff also is like, I don't know how you do that. Or how does that? Yeah. So that's what we're, that started this, you know. It's just going to snowball, yeah. I hope, into having um, zoning that just says this is an urban farm. This is an urban farm. This is a farm that we do these kinds of things on, not development, not, you know, uh, all the residential rules. This is a farm. And so these there are particular rules for farming. It's just crazy everything you just said to me that you can't have urban farms in the city, the permits that you need. I work in construction, my daily job, and I deal with a lot of permits every day. And, you know, they're so helpful. It's so easy on my side of construction. It does not seem that hard. I mean, yes, someone would have to create these new permits and rules, but, you know, that doesn't seem too, it just seems like a tedious task for someone. Yeah. And uh, in 2011, there the staff, uh, I don't know who directed this, but the staff wrote a 30 or 35 page report on uh, Raleigh meaning being, being prepared for urban agriculture. So there's already, they were already heading down that path. And then it just got, it just got stopped with the UDO. Yeah. So I'm not sure who those players were, but I think they're gone. (laughs) And um, yeah, and it looks like um, we'll be back in that conversation. And we've got a kid on our team who's a law student at Carolina. And he, we tasked him with going to other cities and pulling the information the cities that are doing what we mm-hmm. want to do um, and pulling that information so that it's easy for our city staff to then start writing the ordinances that will allow for. Yeah. Um, yes. Kind of operation. Um, well, I will sign anything. I'll join the petition, whatever you need. Oh, I love that. I'll send it to you today. Yes, please do. I know my partner would, would like to sign it too. You write on your site that you want to fuse blue sky thinking with cash register reality. Can you explain what that means to you in Sweet Peas? Sure. Um, so we want to do, you know, you know what a B corporation is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. where things are equal, where profit is equal to people and planet. That's what I mean. Um, I, it seems, um, you know, having worked in the law firm for that long, that would have been laughed at at, at such a high level. <laughs> and so I always thought I was just dreaming, you know, blue sky thinking. Um, so, so that's what I mean. We can do this correctly. We can do this where we pay people a, a decent wage. We can do this uh, where we don't damage any, you know, where we actually remediate um, the damage done to to climate by um, uh, the industrial farming uh, system, food system. So that's what I meant. Um, mm-hmm. I I found that it is a challenge to um, uh, make a living as a farmer. <laughs> It is. It does. Uh, I, I definitely decreased my lifestyle, which was great. I got to downsize a whole bunch of junk, but um, um, it's possible, and it's possible. It, it feels much more possible right now. It, it, you're correct in um, assuming that the uh, pandemic pushed people into a new way of thinking about their health and their food. Mm-hmm. Um, so we 
get a lot more questions about that. A lot more people coming here there because they um, heard that we're growing food organically here and that uh, we have the microgreens, we have mushrooms, um, and they're interested, far more interested than they were um, prior to. And, you know, sitting at a farmer's market now for, gosh, I can't believe I've been doing this for that long. 2014 was my first farmer's market. So I've been doing them almost every weekend since then. Wow. Uh, you get to hear what people think. And the trend it has been much more about the nutrition. And so, um, you know, before it was about the way it looked. Oh, that's so pretty. Well, that looks so cute. And that's so sweet. Um, or, or, you know, how they taste. Do they taste good? <laughs> I love that. Do they taste good? No, they <laughs> suck. Don't ever put one in your mouth. <laughs> They taste like Fruit Loops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what do you expect? To... <laughs> I, I've actually had moms stop their child. You know, like before COVID, we could sample. So I yeah. Sample. And a little kid would come up. Of course, they're inquisitive and put their hand in. Oh, no, you're not going to like that. Uh, and then I'd be like, go do that. Stop them before they even <laughs> yes, could even. experience. You don't, like you don't like green things? Oh, my gosh. Well, they're not going to now. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to. That, that's what we mean. And I'm, I, you know, I get accused of being a little pie in the sky, um, <laughs> optimistic. Um, but, and I, and my partner, uh, Tom Kump, who is uh, double T farm, he is a no man. <laughs> so between the two of us, I'm the yes girl and he's the no man. <laughs> you balance each other out. That's right. And we have formed a, a plan that I think is really doable. And he agrees with me. We shouldn't be hiring people if we can't pay them. 7.15 hour or 7.20, whatever the hell it is. It's so yeah. ridiculous. The Department of Labor came out with a study in 2017 that was a national study. And it said, it found that uh, for one human being to have housing, food, um, health care, and transportation, it, it, the, uh, the wage, that the national wage would be 17.91. I mean, we're 17. For, yeah, 17.91. That's $18. <sighs> We're fighting for 15. Here we are four years later. Oh, my gosh. They came out with that, that study. So, yeah, we, we have to do a lot better. And, and you know, selling food at a, a fair price. And I found I love this when I uh, would be in a, in a room with a bunch of lawyers and um, clients who were, uh, you know, high level, had great ideas about uh, whatever. And, and there was always this awe of lawyers like, oh. You're somebody special, <laughs> and then and then we go into the farming business, and there are distributors who are like, what the? <laughs> like, and it it was such an interesting cultural change. I was like, wow. In my experience, and I've been around lawyers for a long time, I have met far more uh, uh, balanced human beings uh, as farmers who are uh, not only can do math. But they they're plant biologists and they're accountants and they're marketers and they're you know they're engineers they have to fix everything yeah they're far more well-rounded and more um their uh, emotional intelligence is as a broader range than um than intellectual i'm sorry uh i shouldn't say no i like that perspective i too because you know you think a farmer you know, he's growing, he's producing, he's distributing, and you don't realize all those little tasks that you do, which is kind of why I started this. So people understand what these careers look like, because you have no idea, like, you know, everything that goes day to day to run a successful farm. And I've been working with uh, Tom for a year now. And every day I learned something about, he's been doing, he's been farming in Wake County for 20 years. So, you know, he knows what this, what the, this weather is going to do to that little seedling and we need to uh, we need to pivot and do this thing to it. <laughs> I would you know you put a seed in the ground. That's what I thought because yeah. that's what I get to do with my degree. But no, there's so there's so much information. He studies, and um, you know uh, the the ag universities do all kinds of research on helping farmers and getting uh, seeds that uh, correctly cultivated so that in certain areas of the country they can do better. And we have a problem with uh, downy mildew uh, and uh, the South. And so there, you know, he, Tom spends a good amount of time researching at the, at the university level, um, you know, what they're coming out, what the research is showing. Um, and then he, uh, you know, gets a sample of the seed and he tries it. And then we try to uh, pivot uh, what we're going to do here. We grow all kinds of veg, like every bit of it, um, herbs, 
uh, everything. So I have 60 varieties of microgreens that I manage and he's got, you know, thousands of uh, vegetables that he tries. Wow. So, yep. And what's his farm called? Double T. Double T. Okay. Um, that's just incredible. It's incredible how much they help and like work with y'all to let you know before the seasons. Sure. Sure. Farming is changing. Obviously we see it with you. We see it everywhere nowadays, I think. Um, and agriculture traditionally contributes a lot of greenhouse gases and climate change to our planet. Cropbox boasts that they have the ability to grow an acre of crops in a single shipping container while using 90% less water yes. and less fertilizer than traditionally. We use none. Wow. Was that important to you? Was that? Yes. Yeah. And was that coming from your dad's background, maybe your family background? Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, we were always, you know, my dad was the person who, you know, kept the thermostat where Jimmy Carter said to put it in 1978, <laughs> which was, you keep it at no higher. It was 78 at always um, and uh, or no lower. Um, but one of the things that I worked with when we were designing the crop box for me was um, I wanted to see what the, the math was on the lights. And I, uh, you know, they gave me, it came with, um, not to LEDs, it came with fluorescence and, um, they were T8, T4s, T8s. Um, and we were told, uh, and again, I had a background in accounting, not agriculture that, and, and let me tell you who told us, it was all the pot growers had all of these YouTube videos of how <laughs> to make plants grow better. Right. So their first thing was first nutrients, second light, 18 hours light. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they did uh, cut back on water. They weren't uh, water uh, hogs, but the, those things. Oh, and there was one other thing that they taught us, which was fans. So four things that I was prepared to have my crop box ready to do. And that was have the lights run for 18 hours. Um, do a, a seven. Oh, oh they said uh, we were running water all the time, but it was just recycled. So it's just water that just goes back to the system. But we were running it a lot. We found that we could cut immediately. We could cut back on how much water the microgreens didn't need that much water. And then we got the first power bill. And I was like, I'm going to, I can't do this. Now we had air conditioning and heating in it. We had uh, 180 um, fluorescent lights and we were doing what the pot grower said, which was keep the lights on. So, and it has a computer. So you can say, don't keep the lights on, you know, keep these on in four segments of the box. So uh, I had this really sharp, uh, Wolford, you know what that is? Uh, no. Worldwide opportunities in organic farming. Kids from all over the world. Thank you. So this kid, he's my first Wolford now. I just got the box. He wants a wolf. I'm like, I love this whole world. I love this. He's a um, Cornell University master's degree grad. He's just graduated. And his his wife wanted had an opportunity. She'd applied for NC State, Horticulture, and Florida State. And they were stopping. They thought they would stay here for with me for three months while they figured out Raleigh and weather state was a good place for her and all of that. And we just hit it off and he was brilliant. And so the minute I got that power bill, he's like, well, Tammy, I've watched some of your systems and I have an idea. Let's try this. So in the germinating phase, we would just black out the whole side of the box. And then he said, let's try a couple LEDs. So we got a couple of them. And then immediately I got contacted by all these folks who were doing plant lights. Will you try mine out? Will you try mine out? Will you try it? So we took all the fluorescence out of the grow side and we put LEDs in. And we're down to $75 a month now for the Wow. But and we don't need the air conditioning. It is a um a, uh it's called a reefer unit, which means that it was built for refrigerated uh content coming from uh, across the ocean. So um, it's very insulative and you can have a, a couple fans going and uh, you don't need air, uh, uh, air conditioning. Wow. Definitely doesn't need heat. So we bought an, an HVA system for it, but we don't use it. We don't, you know, August we'll turn on the air conditioner for a little bit, but the plants are fine and we're fine. Yeah. We are not using, we have a teeny tiny little footprint. Well, that's great. That's super exciting. Do you only have one crop box? Yes, right now. Um, so prior to COVID, <laughs> I had a lease signed with uh, Transfer Co., um, mm-hmm. the food hall uh, in Southeast Raleigh. Um, we were going to uh, put a second crop box out on the patio. It's extended over the patio uh, to the side. 
Uh-huh. And I signed the lease. <laughs> it's a it's a really fun lease for me because he wanted it so badly. He gave me um uh a dollar a year to be there as long as, long as I managed everything I I did inside my own box. And we had the vendor ready to um build it and ship it and then we lost all my business. So um, we put that on the back burner. Uh, I still talk to Jason and he still wants me to bring that thing out there. So possibly, but in the interim, there's been a lot more interest in um, like Whole Foods and, and bigger uh, organizations. So we're thinking of a warehouse uh, and the crop box um, folks have built out several warehouses now. And um, Trip and I have talked about just partnering together in Raleigh and having a demonstration of uh, uh, vertical growing um, inside a warehouse and show them, you know, as a partnership that we can do it here too. We, you know, we're get, heading towards some funding for that. And then all of this hit. So we're, that's not out of my range right now. I have been mm-hmm. focusing more on um, this farm and getting uh, it uh, up and running and pretty with lots of uh, produce. Um, but I don't see, I mean, I still see that as a, a something we're going to pursue. I hope so. I would love to be at the food hall seeing your crop box. And I'd love to see a demonstration in a warehouse. I think it's such a good opportunity for so many people that maybe be, maybe are interested in this style of farming, but, you know, have no idea. I mean, truthfully, I have friends in San Francisco who work in startups with vertical farming and creating food from bacteria. So I know a little bit about it, but Cropbox, I had no idea until I was just researching local Raleigh. And I love the idea. I love it. I wish I could put one in my backyard. Uh I have, I have a lot of folks. uh, I've had, so we were on the farm tour for the first couple of four years, I think four years we were on the farm tour. And what would come to us, well, first of all, all small farmers look like me. They're my age. There are no, there, there's just so few kids in this. And so there's going to be this big generation gap in farming if we don't do something now, but there would be older farmers who'd been farming and farming and their bodies were just like spent. And they were like, mm-hmm. I like this thing because you can stand up and you don't have to fit. I love it. <laughs> I literally had five or six little farmers from rural North Carolina come just to see the box to see if they could, you know, that a way for them to transition out and do a little, you know, growing, but yeah. not taxing to their body. So I love that. Yeah. That's such an important feature of this. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the well-fed garden and what that is? Sure. So um, when Arthur Gordon, Arthur and Anya owns the Irregardless, uh, which is a restaurant that has been in Raleigh for over 45 years. Yes. Uh, Arthur started, it was the first vegetarian restaurant uh, in, and I remember I was in high school. So I remember, and we were all like, oh, God, we're cool. Raleigh's cool now. Um, so uh, it's, um, uh, Arthur was uh, looking, he bought the property behind the uh, restaurant when he bought that little space. And he was having a, it had a little house on it. And I think he lived in it, uh, mm-hmm. early on. but he had a chef living in it in the 2000s. And the chef was um, growing a garden in the back of the house, which was uh, really close to the restaurant. And so they were bringing in the produce and the health department said, oh, no, you don't. You can't do that. So Arthur's a little ornery. And so he was like, I don't understand why I can't. And I'm going to figure out a way that I can. So he went looking for property. And this particular spot was an old farm. Um, it had been totally grown over and um, it had been subdivided. And so there was 1.5 acres and a little house um, on this property. And it had been in foreclosure, but he didn't know that when he found it. So um, went with a real estate agent. They decided that they could uh, work the land, that, having no idea how much trouble that was going to be or how hard that was going to be. So they bought the land for a, a song because it was in foreclosure and um, they started to cultivate it. And um, as they were working on the farm, they found a well. And that was really fascinating because it wasn't in the plot. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. in the real estate records. So they um, decided to name it the Wellfed Garden. And um, it uh, all, we, we watered the outside plants with uh, the well. Um, and he got it uh, working again and he installed a new pump. So it's all uh, what we use to irrigate. Um, 
And they decided to have a model where they were training um, young farmers who wanted to live in the house and be employees of the Irregardless to grow some of the food for the Irregardless. So from 2014-ish till 2019, that was the model. And then Arthur had a heart attack in 20, in the spring of 2019, I believe. And, um, he's 70 and he actually, he just turned 71. Um, he decided and his wife pushed him to decide that they had to cut back on something. So they had a catering business, the restaurant and the garden. And the first thing they closed was the catering business. And then they decided to put the restaurant up for sale. Trophy, the owners of Trophy. Mm -hmm. And they um, are doing, you know, roughly everything that Arthur ever did. And then they wanted to come here and kind of relax on the farm and help us with, you know, growing whatever. Anya loves to garden. So uh, that was the plan. And I was getting harassed in the neighborhood where I had the shipping container um, because uh, it was imminent that we were going to, I was going to be um, cited for having this monstrosity. Yeah in the backyard of my house. So I was telling that story and Anya and I were at an urban ag collective, this same group that is trying to petition the city. Uh, we met, met quarterly and we were, I was talking to somebody about this story and she walked behind me and she said, Oh, I got an idea. Bring the shipping container to the well fed. So that was in the summer of 2019. And we talked about it for a few months and tried to figure out how it would work. And they still had kids in here running the, um, farm so uh they they started thinking about their plans and what they wanted to do and we brought the shipping container over and then they asked us to manage the farm so in november we moved in <laughs> the kids moved out we moved in <laughs> we brought our shipping container and so since we were collaborating anyway on this uh, uh conversation with the city it was a good fit and, and um you know they're very supportive of what we're doing here they're trying really hard to um make this help me make this space um, a, a space for Raleigh to see that you can do yeah. it acre, acre and a half I love it I love it you guys on the well-fed garden so you uh donate 20 percent of the bounty to volunteers and neighbors which is incredible I love that part of the mission also yep, it, you guys are the kids the people who volunteer are remarkable like remarkable like I, Who's who's watching over me? The, the, you know, yesterday, a, a young lady whose mother had passed away and she was taking care of her father. He's 91 years old. Oh, wow. Fully intact, fully intellectually intact. And, you know, he, he's a little slow, but he he can certainly do things. And he's an engineer mind. She brought him over here. and He, he wants to be here a lot, like <laughs> three hours, four or five times a day. And I was like, wow, I love that. Come. <laughs> yes, I love it because the garden also highlights that you guys are dedicated to reconnecting folks to the source of their nourishment, plants, chickens, bees, soil, air, water, and friendship, which I love all of those things. And I love the friendship part included reconnecting, especially in the city with your goals. Yep. It, it has been remarkable. I mean, like I, almost every day, there's a new person, a new face, a new thing that's a really um, uh, exciting for us. They're there. They want to help us they want to donate something they want to bring us something um the the listserv or the email list that we inherited was mostly folks who had been um uh clients of the irregardless and so that's typically north raleigh-ish and carry-ish mm -hmm. and not really this neighborhood and there were two uh park scholars who took us on as a case last year and they I told them that was that was our concern that we didn't see our neighbors coming over. We saw people from all over Raleigh, but not right here. So they went around and they created this event that we were going to have, except COVID killed it, uh, where we're going to have a neighborhood involvement. But they went around and had literature uh, that they put on everybody's doorsteps in English and uh, Spanish, inviting them to come to the garden. And I swear we are seeing far more folks just walking by who. What's going on back there? Can I come in? <laughs> I so, love it. Me too. Can you tell me what your typical day looks like <laughs> with the farm? Yeah, I was just on the phone with a woofer who's like, what's the typical day? I'm like, honey, it's going to never be typical. <laughs> um, 
before COVID, uh, I had the um, uh, restaurants trained. Actually, they trained uh, all purveyors that uh, Tuesdays and Fridays are good delivery days. So I was in that mode and I was going and then, you know, we had volunteer Wednesdays, wine and weed Wednesdays, yes. Thursday morning volunteers, and then third Saturday potluck. So that's what was kind of running us. And then um, we were going to, we were starting to grow some veg. So we were going to offer that veg to my restaurants. That's what we thought we would do. And then COVID hit and all the restaurants stopped ordering and we created an online store immediately. And I got, I joined a Facebook group in the neighborhood. And even though they don't like solicitations, they let me say that I am a farm and you can get your food here. Mm -hmm. So we started to see folks come up, buy it online. We had a cooler out in front. We didn't even get to see them. We just had to you know, get it ready, put it out in front and let them come pick it up. Um, and so that really changed uh, how we, our days went. And now as things are starting to come back, I'm just getting orders every day. Like <laughs> I've got a restaurant who wants an order a day. Today's not a delivery day typically. But I'm not yeah. going to say no right now. Of course. So every day is like, okay, you get up in the morning and go, oh, we got we got this. We got to pivot and do that thing. So I would say pivoting <laughs> is it's the cute. typical day. Um, we're in the middle of planting season. So um, we have uh, 2,000 seedlings that we're working on getting into the field. Um, mm -hmm. And we'll be doing that over the next couple weeks. Um, but it, And then building the farm stand. Once we get the permit, we're going to start building the farm stand. So, you know, typical doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> we just yeah. go with what, 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 what we get hit with. So I love it. What is the most rewarding aspect of sweet peas and now being with the well-fed located? I think it is actually uh, just that community piece. It is, um, people are so kind, you know, in the law firm, there was so much contention. Lawyers are trained to argue about the pencils, the water, the unit. And there is just always that turmoil of, gosh, why are you so mean about that little tiny thing? Here, everybody just says, that's the best thing I ever saw. I had a, I had a man walk up to the gate. I have no idea who he was last week and say, I just wanted to say thank you for what you're doing. This is fabulous. And uh, you're going to make me cry. Um, that, that happens. So often, not, you know, that not that exact circumstance, but people will just be uh, delighted to come here and be part of what we're doing. So that delights me. <laughs> okay. And then on the flip side, what is the most challenging part? Um, being smart enough to know what goes where, when. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I uh, have a kid who's been with me. He was a wolfer at first, and now he um, wants to start his own business, but he's my employee. Um He's a medicinal herb, native plant, uh, pollinator kind of mm -hmm. guy. So he runs the front pollinator garden. Um, and uh, we, he and I thought, well, we could grow vegetables because we've been together for four years and I know some things and you know some things. And so we would start to do the thing and we would then realize that we didn't know what we were doing. And so we'd go, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom has said, don't do anything. Until I it's okay to go ahead. So it's been very challenging to have, you know, we want to do it. We're excited to do it. We've done some research, um, but without his experience, we we have managed to, um, you know, slightly screw it up. <laughs> yeah. It, that has been the challenge, but we this year we're off to a better start. I had a wolfer um, design our crop plan for the year, and she is uh, working at something very similar to what we have here now. Mm -hmm. She was really engaged and really got uh, spent time uh, interviewing all of us. You know, what do we typically sell? What grows in North Carolina during these months? That was from Tom. So we are on a better, we have, and we have all the tools now. We didn't have the correct tools even to start off last year. So now we, we have some really nice tools and uh, a little bit more education, and we have Tom for backup. <laughs> so this year looks a lot more um, like we're going to have a lot more going on with with good with the correct, you know, commercially grown vegetables. It's not just a garden. You have to know how the spacing, and you have to know is this a cut cut and come again? Does it got, come back? And is that in your plan? What were you going to do with that row? Oh my gosh, it'll last for another three months or three weeks or whatever. So all of that has been the, the big uh, learning curve for me, and I love it. It's really exciting. Um, but I did out of the gate. I was just people disrespect and I don't not because they're disrespectful because they just don't think it's just a seed. You put it in the ground and it grows, you know, totally. 
<laughs> no. I can see that perspective. Well, just like the part, like, you know, is it going to regrow? And if not, what were you planning with that? Like so many little pieces. Yep. yep. So many, so many. And the weather can actually just totally destroy every, all the best lane laid plans. Yeah. So all of this rain, Oh my goodness. Uh, we want, we had some days where we went, we wanted to do some things where we couldn't because of the, the weeks of rain. So. Yeah. So uh, kind of talking about that, hitting that note, what's something you wish more people knew about farming, growing food? I think that's, that's it. That, um, um, it is, uh, a, a, a very, uh, I don't want to say it's a, it's a dance of understanding nature, uh, climate, soil, all of it. And, and, and then saying, you know, plus then you have to say, well, <laughs> nobody's going to buy that. That's not anything that anybody cares about. So adding that piece into all of that science um, yeah. is the thing. I don't think people think about it like that. I think they think, well, it just comes out of the ground and, you know, you just water it and put a seed in. So and you sell it somehow too. Right. And you sell out, you sell it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like the dance metaphor. You mentioned you highlighted that people can volunteer to weed and enjoy some wine on the farm on Wednesdays. Is that the best way for people to get connected and volunteer with the farm? Sure, 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 sure. It's on Eventbrite and um, and um, it is um, on our websites. Uh, so uh, it helps me when people book themselves at Eventbrite uh, so I know how to prepare um, we've, we've gotten into a groove right now, so I'm kind of aware of who's going to show up and who's not, but yes, that is, uh, that's ideal. If they will let me know they're coming, I'll have, uh, be prepared, especially with wine. <laughs> I want to make sure we have enough of that. <laughs> oh, I love that. You also, I saw on Eventbrite have, um, art in the garden on yes. Saturdays. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the fourth Saturday of every month, um, an artist comes out here and she's a, um, coach a life coach so she's really good at pulling out while you're doing art what you're really doing and um it's fabulous and then we uh, provide a meal uh from the food that's grown on the farm for the folks who show up for as they're presenting their projects um we feed them that sounds lovely (laughs) it is at first i thought it was kind of hokey i was like (laughs) what are we doing here and then i attended one and it's almost spiritual it's just it sounds that way Okay, I just have a few final fun questions to wrap this up. What did you want to be as a kid, as a little girl? What did you think? <laughs> so it had always been um, an interest of mine to be a lawyer, to be, um, I, I just felt um, a deep sense of a need for justice. So I always wanted to do that. And um, being engaged with food justice and food uh, equity is a way for me to have, um, you know, uh, realized that uh, small goal or that goal. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, that's the thing that, uh, I, from the earliest, I think I was five years old and I was like, dad, what is a lawyer? What's a lawyer? (laughs) (laughs) And he was kind. He didn't tell me, (laughs) he didn't tell me the whole story. (laughs) Oh yeah. Would you say you're an introvert or extrovert? So yeah, I, I battle with that all the time. (laughs) I mean, I do, uh, need that time to regenerate without people. So, you know, I guess that defines me as an introvert. I have to have that. I'll start being silly. I'll start, you know, not being able to to put all the pieces together. I need that time. It's good for me to have it in the morning. But I love talking to people and I love hearing, you know, why they're here. And so I probably is somewhere in between. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is your favorite food, favorite meal? Uh, so the apps, that's so easy. So <laughs> the reason that I decided that microgreens and gardening and all of that was uh, where I really needed to be was arugula. <laughs> I love, I love arugula. arugula. I love the smell of arugula. I love arugula salad. Uh, so um, that would be my favorite food. <laughs> I love arugula on pizza. Oh my gosh. Mm. What skills and strengths of yours would you say has helped you the most throughout your journey? Um, it's the math, the business, um, you know, being able to, uh, uh, you know, create a, I know how to, you know, do my own books and I can do my own books. Um so all of that, uh, you know, that's the side that I help uh, on the, the uh, coordinate, uh, coordinating with Tom. Um, I, I have the business um, background. I mean, 
he's got his own and he's done a, a really good job at some of the things that uh, I had to face at the law firm he has never uh, had to face. So it's a good team for us to have. He'd be the grow expert and I'd be the back uh, office expert. <laughs> I love it. What last question, what advice would you give someone who wants to start an urban farm? Um, I would say uh, to volunteer on one and, and hear the challenges and watch the challenges and see, because a lot of wolfers are like that. They come in and they want to, uh, especially knowing that we are an urban farm, they come in with a, an idealized version of what it's going to be. And um, uh, there are so many pieces to it that I find a lot of them overwhelmed, like in a week, like, oh, my God, <laughs> I didn't really, I thought you just put a seed in it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I would say do it, get involved, be part of one and then uh, decide if that's the thing for you. As Tug, we're trying to um collaborate with other landowners who have some properties inside the city and outside the city uh to to grow more food as we grow this business and um, we mm-hmm. want farmers in that queue and we would like to be training those farmers to do it the way that uh, tom has uh, learned um tom has uh, uh folks in at cornell who are in his family and always a gardening farming family so he has all of it in his blood for years and years and he's a school teacher he has his master's in teaching so he's good at explaining so he's a perfect person to get young kids to hear the whole story and and be engaged so that's our plan that as we grow this year and we've just been approached by somebody who has property at um, around dicks and oh, wow. asked us, she's she's going to donate the land if we will farm it Wow. So many exciting things in the future. I'm so excited to see how you grow, how the farm grows. I love that you guys are trying to bring it into the city and just make people way more aware of what it actually looks like and how they can actually eat these beautiful foods that you're producing. Yep. Yep. That's our goal. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting and just sharing your story with me. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed our conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please leave a review below and follow us along on Instagram at Find Your Niche Podcast.